Hello and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, closetalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show, and Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed, and if you go to cardboardboxproductionsinc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Close Talking. I am one of your co-hosts, Connor McNamara-Stratton. And I am your other co-host, Jack Barasseter-Munley. And we are coming to you at the end of January 2022, year three of misery. Yeah, it's a really fascinating psychological phenomenon that I was just reflecting on earlier today, which is that stuff that happened in 2019 seems to have gone from having happened one year ago to suddenly having happened three years ago. Uh, And I'm not a huge fan of that. (laughs) Nope. You know, I had a similar thing when I saw a thing that was like, it's like talking about the 90s now is like when we were in the 90s talking about the 60s. And I was like, that feels bad (laughs) very weird that is weird anyway um no we have a we have a wonderful poem as we always do and the poem is called hear the dogs crying it is by the poet christy passion and i'm very excited about this poem for many many reasons one of them though is that i discovered it because I recently got a Norton anthology of Native Nations poetry came out last year, edited by Joy Harjo. It's called When the Light of the World Was Subdued, Our Songs Came Through. It's the very first, I repeat, very first comprehensive Native Nations poetry anthology, full stop. I recommend getting it. It's really, really, really good. And it's like, it's divided geographically. There's hundreds of poets in there. They range from very contemporary poets that we've talked about, like Natalie Diaz and Laylee Long Soldier. There's also poems. I think the oldest one is from the late 1600s. And there's also some that have been around. There are some the Northeast and Midwest section begins with an Anishinaabe dream song, which has been translated from Anishinaabe. Uh, so that one has you know, been around since time immemorial. Um, and there's a number of those uh, throughout. But Joy Harjo has a, a beautiful introduction. Um, there's sort of intros for each section that, that are really fascinating. And then of course, cause it's like a, the Norton thing, they have the little poet bios and stuff. It is a remarkable anthology. I'm obviously still working through it cause it is quite massive as someone who is kind of not taught much indigenous poetry, uh, even sort of through my poetry education. I had been looking for this kind of resource for a long time. And it is great, as you were saying, like just to have that resource available 
so that even if there isn't a class at your college or university or or whatever, the autodidactic power of a text like that is huge because maybe not everything is to your taste, but you learn that you like Southeastern native poetry and that becomes an avenue to learning. Like that's, I just know for many of the things that I'm interested in, the starting point was something like that, where it's a compilation of some sort where you find the person or the style that you really resonate with. And then you have the tools to like seek it out and you can come across those things in the course of life or if you're trying to find them, but having those kinds of collections just makes it so much easier. I don't know. I'm hopeful that many more people will be able to discover more stuff through it. It's exciting. Yeah, I think it is. Well, without further ado, this is Hear the Dogs Crying. It's by Christy Passion. Um, and Passion is a member of the Kanaka Maoli uh, Nation. And in, in line of our uh, many uh, recent badass poets who are also badass professionals in other ways, uh, Christy Passion is also a critical care nurse. Um, and yeah, uh, Passion, yeah, has received many literary awards, including the Hawaii Pacific University James A. Vaughn Award for Poetry. Um, her collection of poetry, Still Out of Place, came out of 2016. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's a lot more to discuss, but I think we can do that after we read the poem. Sounds like a plan. All right. This is Hear the Dogs Crying by Christy Passion. A recording of her voice, an old woman's voice full of gravel and lead steeped through the car radio. She spoke of gathering limu, visitors on ships, and dusty roads in Y and I. In the distance, you could almost hear the dogs crying, the mullet wriggling in the fish bag. Nostalgic for a tutu I never knew, I feel the ocean pulse inside me, waves rolling over, pushing me till I leap from this car through the congested H1 across the noise and ashen sky, emerge beneath the rains in Nuuanu. I move past the freshwater ponds, past the guava trees towards homes with flimsy tin roofs where my father, already late for school, races up Papakolea with a kite made of fishing twine. Framed in a small kitchen window, Tutu scrapes the meat from Awa skin for dinner tonight wipes her hands on old flower bags for dishcloths. She is already small and wants to forget. I may be too late. I have tomatoes and onion from the market, Tutu. My hand is out, my plate is empty. And some bones for the dogs to stop their crying. Do you know my name? I am listening for your stories to call me in. My hand is out. My plate is empty for your stories to show me the way. Tutu, do you know my name? It's a good one. I love this poem. You know, at Close Talking, where we read poem, talk about it, read it again. One of the first parts of talking about it happens to be a little narrative play by play. Sometimes we we hedge on even using the word narrative in some of these poems because <laughs> yeah. one is just not present or it's more like a progression than a narrative. I think this one's got a full on narrative happening. This one has a narrative. Uh, things are moving along uh, in a sequence of events. Um, no, it's true. I was reflecting on the, the past play by place and I have often prefaced them well. Well, not much going on uh, you know, in a literal way, in a narrative way, but this one is not not that. Um, yeah, uh, basically, the speaker we kind of realize is sort of in the car driving along on the H1, a highway 
listening. Well, oh. We should say a highway in Hawaii. Yes. Ohio highway in Hawaii. Yes. Important. Um, yeah. And basically on the radio, while the speaker's in the car, there's this old woman's voice uh, talking and talking about, um, you know, basically living in Waianae. Waianae is, uh, yeah, it's in Honolulu. Well, it's in Honolulu County. Um, it's kind of on the Southwest coast, I would say. And so then basically um, the speaker in listening to the voice in the car gets nostalgic for uh, a tutu that she never knew, which is, uh, which means kind of grandma. Um, and basically there's this kind of imaginative leap movement that happens where she like is in the car in the present day and then hears the voice and then gets nostalgic for her grandmother that she never met, leaps from the car and basically goes to try to find her grandmother in the past um, when her father is still young, I think we gather. Um, Cause we have this moment of my father already late for school, um, races up Papakolea, yeah, which is a beach. And then basically the speaker gets there and the grandmother is making dinner, um, you know, scraping meat from uh, Awa skin, um, which is a fish, I believe. And then basically starts addressing um, her grandmother. Um, and that's kind of that final section. I have tomatoes and onion from the market, tutu. Um, and then there's this kind of like, it goes back and forth between italicized lines and non-italicized. And there's a sort of refrain, my hand is out, my plate is empty and some bones for the dogs to stop their crying. And yeah, that's that's kind of the very, and the poem kind of ends with, with that, you know, um, I'm listening for your stories to call me in. My hand is out, my plate is empty for your stories to show me the way to, to do you know my name? Um, so that's at least what I gathered of the, the basic narrative. I don't know if I missed anything. No, I think that's it. And you basically get this kind of journey from a physical realm into more of a spiritual, temporally uncertain realm as well. You start off on a clogged highway and the names of things are these specific structures. And even though some of the naming remains specific and there's, you know, words, you know, you provided definitions for, I think, almost all of them sprinkled in throughout that are either the names of different locations or they are traditional names like limu is a type of algae and you know we talked about what awa and these other words sprinkled throughout mean but you end up in this last uh it's broken into four stanzas and the last stanza all of those kind of names for specific places uh the place has already been constructed and the memory has already been built and then it ends in this not disconnected place, but it's not a place that still feels the need to call out to those specifics because they've been sprinkled in. So I think that's another element that kind of moves you through the narrative, taking you from place to place to place and highlighting the importance of place to what's going to happen in this last bit of the poem, but in kind of moving towards that you are again you're moving farther and farther away from this like moment in a car which is a sort of small confined space even out to this you know place where intergenerational conversation happens yeah no absolutely um and it's interesting uh, like so the poem um 
the poem in the in the anthology is only two stanzas um and the first stanza goes all the way to i may be too late and then the but then it's it also was published well it was that yeah i'm reading it on bamboo ridge press yeah yeah so we can talk more about this later but an interesting other um dimension to this poem is that it's part of a wrenchy which is kind of like a uh it's like a modern um linked it's it's like a modern ranga basically um and uh there were several poets uh christy passion who was one all wrote uh like a wrenchy together and so then basically there's a linked collection called i think no choice but to follow that um bamboo ridge press press put out um but basically the and you can read the whole linked collection online which is very cool I did. Um, it was it was very cool that's yeah. exactly exactly yeah. what i did yeah 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 um no and it's amazing there's um Basically, you know, so the, the previous poem, the, the, the last line of the preceding poem becomes the title of the next poem, I think. Um, so the, the, the poem before this one in the Renshi um, is like, ends with, she stared at her image, then she turned around and walked past the fenced gardens and weathered houses. She could still hear the dogs crying. Um, and so then Christy Passion's poem becomes Hear the Dogs Crying. Um, and then her poem ends, Tutu, Do You Know My Name? Um, and the next poem um, is titled, Do You Know My Name? I believe. Um, and yeah, there's a lot to say on that front, but in that version, the first stanza, which is kind of much, uh, which is sort of one long one in the anthology is, is broken up into several stanzas. So I was just into three. Um, so just mentioning that. <laughs> that. No, that's a great note. I had no idea. Um, though I do think that that in the Bamboo Ridge Press one, that break into the fourth stanza, which is the only break in the anthology, does feel like the big turning point in the poem. So it makes sense if it's only going to have two, that it would be there. Um, yeah. But that is very interesting. And yeah, highly recommend. We'll make sure to link to the poem where it can be found on Bamboo Ridge Press and definitely recommend going through the Renshi and reading the other work because it's, it's really cool as a connected piece. You know, they kind of um, explain, I think uh, Jean Toyama explains a little bit about wrenchies, but um, I found this very interesting. And I think it also resonates a little bit with this poem too, but like while specifically pertaining to the thing produced, it also pertains to the process uh, for wrenchies, not only the linking of verses, but the connecting of poets, that is important. The solitary poet of the West is contrasted with the community of poets in Renshi. Um, a competition of sorts, each poet wonders what the next poet will be able to do with the last line she has tossed her comrade. It is also a collaborative act, um, which I, yeah, I like that. Um, so yeah, there, and there's, I think, um, 48 poems in the Renshi and four poets, um, Jean, Toyama, Juliet, Kono, Anne Inoshita, and Christy Passion. Yeah, and I just, I liked the, the um, and you know, we did, <laughs> I was remembering our haiku, our ranga, <laughs> our ranga. yeah. Uh, if you haven't listened to our haiku week, uh, Jack and I did a, a bit of a ranga, which is what the Renshi is based off of. Um, so you can check that out. Um, I don't know. I'm always interested in, in the, the more social, sort of deliberately social elements of, of poetry, um, especially when it's 
yeah, it can it can be conveyed as such a solitary act. Uh, Definitely. Even like theoretically social versions of poetry, like a workshop or a writing circle or whatever, still it's such an emphasis on like your individual work that you then bring to a group to discuss as opposed to collaborative creation. So it is neat. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm sort of curious just at the beginning of the poem, the the use of the car radio as like a connection point or a jumping off point, because as you know, I'm a rock and roll guy. Hey, hey. <laughs> and uh, the sort of magical qualities of the radio is a huge part of that genre because of when it was getting created and specifically the combination of a car as a means of transportation and freedom and this container that was meant to travel through the liminal space of the highway full of possibilities. <laughs> you know, it takes you out of town and it takes you out into wherever you might be going married with the radio that almost everybody who ended up making rock and roll music was like, I had my life changed when I heard a song on the radio and it opened up a whole new world of possibilities to me. Uh, and mm -hmm. so like the the alchemy of not just a radio, but a car radio is like a big thing um, <laughs> in in rock and roll generally. But like, yeah, you know, it it's it's something that was front of mind for me because I can think off the top of my head of a number of songs that specifically reference radios doing something similar to what this poem is doing. So. Tom Petty has a song literally called Supernatural Radio. I hear you singing on my supernatural radio. Um, oh my God. There's a Robert Plant song called Turn It Up. And he's basically like driving around listening to Charlie Patton and connecting with musicians who came before him who inspired him and then it ends with him like now he's the one coming out of the radio I'm pretty sure is the like progression in that song I'm blinded by the neon the righteous and the might I'm stuck inside the radio turn it on and let me out and there's a a Bruce Springsteen bit that he did during the song Growing Up, where he would tell the apocryphal story of how he and saxophonist Clarence Clemens first met. And they end up like driving off into the hinterlands to like get their fortunes told by a fortune teller and all this stuff. But along the way, they get hit by a hurricane and a tornado and like everything blows out of the car and they're trying to figure out what they're doing. And a hurricane hit. And then a tornado blew across the highway. And then a blizzard hit. And then a heat wave broke. And then the, the roof flew off the car. And then we got two flat tires. And then the fenders flew off. And then the engine block cracked. And then the carburetor went. And then the windows flew out. And then, and then, and then the radio broke. And then the absolute worst thing that could happen is the radio broke. And so <laughs> uh, it's like building up to this moment of like, everything was not great, but it was okay. As long as we had the radio and oh no. Oh my God. Um, or, you know, Tom Petty's running down a dream. He has the radio on and he's quote unquote flying. Um, so yeah, ba basically because I am steeped. <laughs> in in steep absolutely steeped in this stuff you know um, when you uh you make a green tea and you forget about it and i do not because i drink black tea but go on <laughs> well black tea is great i am i love black tea but especially i've noticed with green tea if you oversteep it mm. it's it should be there for like you know two to four minutes tops yeah uh but if so if not it, like 30 years not 30 years <laughs> and if you're steeping that tea for 30 years oh my god it's Steeped gonna in the be the tea of rock and roll history i'm just out here <laughs> unable it's it's really more of a marination than a steeping at this point um yeah yeah anyway. it's gonna be bitter that's all i'm saying yeah 
I mean, many genres have versions of that, but I'm latching on specifically to this car radio situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know, I'm curious for your thoughts on the the way that the radio works, because there's also like radios and TVs and electronics or like how aliens communicate in science fiction and stuff like it's a it's a vehicle, technological vehicle into the supernatural sometimes. Um, but I am curious for your thoughts on that as like the entry point, because I find it to be particularly obviously stacked with all that other stuff that I just said. But also like <laughs> it's it's such a vivid and concrete thing that like I can hear this crackly voice. I can imagine sitting in the car like it's a it's a yeah. really effective grounding experience. So I'm curious for what your thoughts are sort of about that aspect of a like a starting point. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, yeah, because it is it's it begins literally with a recording of her voice, um, you know, and you don't even know who she is until the end of the line, you know, an old woman's voice full of gravel and lead steeped through the car radio. And then, you know, it's not until the third line that you even get the car. Um, so it, it is, it is definitely like, um, I think, I think you're right to, to hone in on that. Cause it's, it's, um, it's put first in a way that like, if you were telling a very 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 conventional story you might order the information differently be like so i was on i was you I know was listening to the radio driving around the other day right exactly and then i heard this voice um but really it's it, it's like a recording of her voice that's how you get going um yeah i mean i agree with everything you've said about the kind of tr transportive quality of radio um, and of, you know, it is one of those weird things where you're kind of like, you're living your own life. You know, it's one thing to like, you know, like, and this is sort of sound over vision, you know, because like, you know, you can't be watching the TV while you're driving your car, you know what I mean? And so you can kind of have the, the sounds on in the background um, as you're moving through your life. Whereas like, you know, when you turn on the TV, it's like, you're sitting there, maybe you're like cooking something and you're watching on your laptop or whatever, but you gotta be glancing over. And so it's, it's a more, there's also the kind of the incidental nature, especially when you kind of always have the, you know, maybe you always have the, the radio on and like, you don't know what they're going to play necessarily or what they're going to turn to and then all of a sudden there's this recording of this old woman's voice and then suddenly you're like oh wow this for some reason even though i've never met my grandmother it really reminds me of her you know that's um, a, the happenstance aspect of it is such a great point especially now that there is so much choice because even in the car like you play a cd or you plug your phone in or whatever right so the radio does it's a useful way to take that kind of uh, what do you think of in your mind, like the stream of consciousness and physicalize it, make it physical. Yeah. Physicalize. Physical. I think it's physicalize. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm just, yeah. as I'm, I don't know, as I'm looking at it, it makes me think that um, I'm looking at the other ways that this poem pretty intensely physicalizes because <laughs> like I feel the ocean pulse inside me waves rolling over pushing me till I leap like yes it ends up going in this much more kind of supernatural direction but when I read those first lines and I'm only with them before I get to the the leap and these other places and now I'm no longer on the highway what I feel is that sensation of like, if you've been in the waves for a long time, even when you get out of the waves, you still sort of feel the rocking of the surf. Like that is a, a really, again, a fairly common embodied experience for anybody who's been in the ocean. And that like linking that as the, then the vehicle to move even farther beyond the highway and the car is also like this heavily, I don't know, embodied and like instantly 
recognizable element. Yeah, no, definitely. And there's also, so, I mean, one, one thing that I, that I picked up that I think is, is related to the waves aspect is, you know, just kind of like, it's like almost hard to read sometimes out loud because there's a leaping. So as the, the poem is sort of traveling, the, the sentences and the line breaks are like kind of doing some jumping and doing yeah. some, some wave vibes perhaps um because you know we have like we kind of get it through um she spoke of gathering limu visitors on ships and dusty roads in y and i i mean it's not quite uh uh so well there's a couple ways to read that line break because one thing so i think i think limu could be also seaweed it's like an it's like an edible kind of ocean. Yeah. And so then it, that they, they could, it could be limu visitors on ships. Like they're maybe they're collecting on a ship basically. Um, but it could also be like gathering it and then gathering visitors or something like in a kind of sentence thing, but there's a line break that happens and there's not like um, a punctuation. So there's somewhat of an ambiguity, even though we're not like getting super far out at that point but then we kind of have like limo is like all edible water plants yes i think so yeah yeah um so yeah it could be seaweed could be algae could be many things basically but then once we get so nostalgic for a tutu i never knew and this is the point part that you were talking about and when we get the introduction of the waves you know i feel the ocean pulse inside me waves rolling over, pushing me till I leap from this car through the congested H1 across the noise and ashen sky, emerge beneath the rains um, in Nuanu. So like, there's almost a missing, it's, it's again, it's not super extreme at this point, but there's like, um, there's almost a missing and where it's like, I leap from this car through the congested H1, across the noise and ashen sky, and then, you know, emerge beneath the rain, rains in Nu'uanu. Um, or where... it feels like it should be emerging beneath the rains. Exactly. It's, it's definitely yeah. a sort of like, huh? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and, you know, emerge sort of starts its own line. So it's, it's using the, the lineation of the poem to kind of, like create these little jumps basically. So then it gets to her moving, basically getting to her father and her tutu and it kind of goes and the late for school and all that. But then there's this kind of moment right before the kind of final stanza. She is already small and wants to forget. I may be too late. And then we have the stanza break. I have tomato, tomatoes and onion from the market tutu. Um, like the, she is already small and wants to forget is like its own thing. And then I may be too late is kind of like its own thing too. You know, there's line breaks between those lines, but there's not, and there's a kind of a, a dash um, after I may be too late, but between the wants to forget and I may be too late, there's no um punctuation or anything which i think is kind of interesting and it kind of like and it it's like this kind of interesting also leaping into into the kind of thought process of the speaker where it's like oh i might be too late because it's like she gets there you know she gets to see her tutu scraping the meat preparing dinner but then she's like oh she's already small and wants to forget and then she like has the op this is kind of like how I'm like reading into this moment, but she like has the ob those observations. Then she's like, like shit, I might be too late to like to talk to her. Cause may I don't know, maybe um like I don't I don't know, but it's like one possibility is that her grandma like, you know, suffered some kind of memory loss or some kind of degenerative illness at the end of her life. And um you know, maybe did forget or something, but you know, the kind of, do you know my name, which 
on the on the one hand it's like we never met so it's like do you literally would you know who i am if i can't, you know came from from the h1 of the future but the kind of way that the poem is jumping and then we get the i have tomatoes and onion from the market tutu is this kind of it moves you know into a direct address like it's interesting in that the language up till this point is kind of like you know a first person novel like voice in terms of like you know um i was there in the car i heard this thing it's like it's kind of in the past tense a little bit you know what i mean um and it's like the voice brought me back i got nostalgic um but you know and then it's it actually now that i'm saying that it's interesting where it's like the recording of her voice she spoke of gathering limu visitors on ships then it's nostalgic for a tutu i never knew i feel the ocean pulse inside me so then we go to present tense um and then she's like so she's leaping from the past tense into the present tense as she's going back time uh but anyway then by the end this kind of i have tomatoes and onion from the market tutu that's like uh the language there is like could be a line of dialogue in a in a play or a movie or something it's like that's something that the speaker is is literally saying to the tutu in the poem you know it's not like i was in my car and i'm describing a situation to you or something so the the um anyway all of that's to say is there's this kind of formal stuff with the line breaks and also the ways that the language is shifting slightly suddenly from like past tense to present tense to like exposition to like inner consciousness thought to dialogue that kind of does the work of of traveling the reader also to the moment that they get to at the end. There's different jumping off points within the poem. And I think you're right. The language purposefully is also playing around with jumping off or switching around or switching back because what you have going on is like time gets confused in the poem purposefully and the language moves kind of track along with that as you're jumping off out of a car on a highway into a whole litany of different mountains and beaches and other places all around the island into the realm of like memory the language is kind of jumping around with you and it kind of culminates in this conversation i get or, or sort of back and forth at the very least i don't know if you'd call it a conversation but there is this back and forth that comes after the I may be too late and I find the repeated line of my hand is out my plate is empty because I guess what we're meant to understand is that the alternating lines the first one is from the speaker and the second one is from the grandmother I that's a good question because maybe yeah I don't you mean the alternating italicized yeah so in the last stanza yeah there is the first line is in regular text, and then the second line is italicized. Third line is regular text. Fourth line is italicized. Yeah. Um, and that read to me like it was back and forth between the speaker and the grandmother. Yeah, it's a good question because because what I what's what's a little confusing to me is, you know, so the first one I have tomatoes and onion from the market tutu seems seems like clearly is the speaker like addressing the grandmother but then at the end the the italicized is tutu do you know my name um this so, is this is my question oh right? okay because it comes to there yeah what what do we what further transmissions and uh time changes and leaps do we <laughs> think are happening at the end and how does that reflect back on the poem hmm. because it does exactly that it ends on the italicized line 
which if you're reading the poem intuitively, you're probably reading as being from from the grandmother, the tutu, but it says, Tutu, do you know my name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know. I I sort of I was going in a sort of generations upon generations grandmothers grandmothers and the these like long histories and lineages that are ingrained in your dna literally so you know you're not your own grandmother obviously but (laughs) there is a sense of this experience that's happening on at the beginning of hearing this voice that propels you into memory and curiosity and nostalgia for a grandmother I never knew, you know, do you then imagine yourself as your grandmother and put yourself into that Hmm. place? Like I never knew my grandmother, but let me imagine what it was like to be her. And I, I just find that last stanza fascinating. Yeah, no, I agree. That's yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, I think the way that I initially was reading it, which has its own strangenesses to it, is like they're kind of both from the speaker, but they're like they're like different re- like registers of the speaker. Like there's a kind of um, cause it's, it's like, it actually gets, it sort of gets like, I do not know if this is the right reference, but it's almost like ballady or something, but the repeating lines, um, you know, and there could be a kind of form that I, there's probably a kind of form that I just don't know. Um, but the kind of, you know, my hand is out, my plate is empty, my hand is out my plate is empty. Do you know my name? Tutu, do you know my name? Those repeating, they're like almost like a song or like a, you know, the repeating makes them a refrain. It's like a chant. It's less like, um, like a bit of dialogue, if you know what I mean. Um, Whereas I have tomatoes and onion from the market. Tutu is very, you know, and, and some dogs for the, and some dogs and some bones for the dogs to stop their crying, which kind of calls back to um, hearing the, you know, the dogs crying at the very beginning of the poem, which like maybe is from the recording, but maybe is also from her imagination when she's sort of thinking about her own um, grandmother. Um, And so like kind of like a uh this is like what i'm saying but this is like i don't know and then my my hand is out my plate is empty felt like it made more sense from the speaker as like you know that's something you could say to your grandmother like i'm you know you know like you're making dinner and i'm my plate is empty kind of thing Um, but then at the same time, you're right that it's, it's, it is alternating. Um, here's where I'm going with it now. Okay. (laughs) Based on you saying that, here's what I'm thinking that is making the most sense to me, whether it's even remotely correct or not. (laughs) Um, I read the non-italicized lines as being from a version of the speaker who actually met and interacted with the grandmother. And over the course of these kind of imagined travels, that is the place that the speaker arrives at, actually interacting with an imagined grandmother. The italicized lines are the speaker in the car thinking about all of this. So you have these like direct action lines. I have tomatoes and onions from the market, Tutu. Like you just came in. I'm a kid. Here's your stuff. Uh, and some bones for the dogs to stop their crying. I'm listening to your stories to call me in. Like you're actually there, you're hearing it, you're interacting yeah. for your stories to show me the way. And the italicized lines are all about like wonder and lack. It's the repeated, my hand is out, my plate yeah. is empty. Like I have nothing in my hand. I have nothing in the plate in my other hand. I didn't get that experience. 
do you know my name? I mean, that's like a giant philosophical question. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Is there a transgenerational connection that transcends the mortal coil or whatever? Repeating my hand is out, my plate is empty. Repeating to do, do you know my name? That feels like it's the, it's kind of taking us back out of this thought experiment, back to the questions that are animating it for the speaker in the car hearing this voice on the radio that kind of throws them off into this into this thought. Damn, I like that. Yeah, no, it's true because in the beginning, the poem, the the line, nostalgic for a tutu I never knew, could be she passed away before I ever met her, which is originally how I thought about it. But then the where she goes back to is when obviously her own father is still a kid. So even if she... Yeah knew her tutu for many many years she never would have known that tutu yes um so i think that could definitely be be a way to read those two lines which was really interesting um i like that and i think this is like sort of just i was thinking about it um when you were talking about the my hand is out my plate is empty part about the lack kind of thing. It's also worth, you know, in some, um, there's a good sort of, uh, you know, profile and interview of Christy Passion, but she talks about how she grew up, um, you know, she grew up poor and she's definitely like identifies as a working class poet. And, you know, um, and, and you get that sense in this poem too, like, the kind of um, past the guava trees towards homes with flimsy tin roofs um, is is like a very kind of like uh, class identifier kind of imagery sort of thing. Um, And then the fact that her father, the speaker's father, like, um, I mean, it's partly resourcefulness, but the kite is made of fishing twine. I mean, partly you're getting like the sense more, you know, which is, very uh but then when you get especially too, then the wipes your hands on old flower bags for dishcloths it's like these things are being repurposed and that suggests a kind of need to be economical about um what things you have and it's like you know on the one hand sure it's it's also it's a fishing community by the water the fishing twine makes sense is is works well for a kite but it's also like if they had the means, maybe they would buy a kite. That's just a straight up kite or whatever. So then I think there's also that, um, I don't know. I was thinking about that again with the, my hand is out, my plate is empty. Just the, I don't know. There's like a lot of different resonances that that line has, which I think makes it such a good one to be repeating and sort of set apart from the others where on the one hand, it's, it's a kind of ask for the grandmother. On the other hand, it it also is another signifier of, you know, not having that much. Because to me, what really, that do you know my name? It's such a, you know, because, you know, now the speaker, um, I mean, we don't know exactly where the speaker is in their life or whatever, but it's like, they got a car, they're an adult, they're doing something, but it's like, but the, just the longing. So there's also the, just the emotional connection, you know, either it's like, do you recognize me now, even though maybe you've lost some of your memory or just like, could you recognize me even though we didn't know each other? Or like you only knew me when I was, young and now i'm an adult and i only knew you when you were old and this is you when you were young like a a weird meeting point in time you know would you recognize me as your grandchild if i was an adult as opposed to five or whatever when we actually knew each other and would i recognize you as my grandmother if you were 30 instead of 70 or no that's such a good point because it is like, I was just thinking, 
Yeah, like with aunts and uncles of mine, when I was a kid, they were like, oh, how's school? Or like, you know, da-da-da, like, you're a kid. <laughs> um, I mean- <laughs> Oh, you're so much I, taller than the last time I saw you. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, like now, like, like I talk with some of them, like, how- like how's work going like we're both talking to each other about how work is going like there's a which is not like super profound but they're obviously have changed too but like i've changed a lot since i was a young kid um but my grandparents like one i never one passed away when my dad was young but the other three two passed away in high school and one passed away at the end of college, I think. And so, you know, they've never, I never had grandparents, like I, and I've never that when I was like a, you know, a working adult out in the world um, and the kind of person that I am. Um, and so that is, I hadn't really considered it, but it's, it is like, yeah, what would they, do they know me? <laughs> what, yeah. what would they think about me who I am now or, you know? the I may be too late kind of part of that poem of like I only knew them when they you know were basically probably retired even when you do sort of have the blessing of being with your elders you still are you only know that version of them yeah and the most you get are like occasional windows into what their life might have been like um, my one grandmother loved, loved to tell stories. And so I heard about a lot of her life because she had an incredibly good memory and she would tell the stories of like, and then I said this, and then they said that, and like very detailed, <laughs> it was very wow. funny. Um, but it was like her mode of storytelling. Uh, and so I think I was pretty lucky in that regard to actually hear about like what her life was like as a younger person. But even then it was mostly her as like a young mom in the military, like traveling around with her husband and her kids, you know, which is part of like, just what was her life like? Well, that was kind of a lot of it. By the time she was an adult, she was getting married and having kids, you know, mm -hmm. you know, I never really met that version of her. Yeah. You know, I, the person I met was old <laughs> and lived in rural Maryland and like, that was great but I didn't get to see the version of her that was in Wiesbaden, Germany or in Thailand or any of the other places that she lived around the world, you know, like that's just right. such a different experience, even if it is the same person who, you know, I don't think her personality probably changed a whole lot over the course of her life based on <laughs> my interactions <laughs> with her. Uh, she, she knew what she was about. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think that is like what qualifies as having quote unquote met, or maybe you have moments with them where you feel like you meet that other version that sort of peeps through. It's like, oh, maybe that was maybe that was 25 year old, or maybe that was 30 year old, or whatever. That reading of yours of the the final stanza is like a kind of fascinating it's like two kinds of longings in a way if the unitalicized i have tomatoes and onion is kind of the the part of her that met her grandmother maybe but the i am listening for your stories to call me in for your stories to show me the way right that's its own desire which is different from do you know my name basically yeah it's it's just kind of amazing that they're both coexisting I guess the way that the poem progresses in this memory like it it I feel like it's cre it's it's creating the space for those two voices to really be together at the end I agree <laughs> and I think we should hear it again oh let's hear it again this is hear the dogs crying by Christy Passion a recording of her voice, an old woman's voice full of gravel and lead steeped through the car radio. 
She spoke of gathering limu, visitors on ships and dusty roads in Waianae. In the distance, you could almost hear the dogs crying, the mullet wriggling in the fish bag. Nostalgic for a tutu I never knew, I feel the ocean pulse inside me, waves rolling over, pushing me till I leap from this car through the congested H1 across the noise and ashen sky, emerge beneath the rains in Nu'uanu. I move past the freshwater ponds, past the guava trees towards homes with flimsy tin roofs where my father, already late for school, races up Papakolea with a kite made of fishing twine. Framed in a small kitchen window, Tutu scrapes the meat from awa skin for dinner tonight, wipes her hands on old flower bags for dishcloths. She is already small and wants to forget. I may be too late. I have tomatoes and onion from the market, Tutu. My hand is out, my plate is empty. And some bones for the dogs to stop their crying. Do you know my name? I'm listening for your stories to call me in. My hand is out, my plate is empty. For your stories to show me the way. Tutu, do you know my name? Jack, what's going on? What things have you been watching, listening to, reading, moseying nearby? I need to know. I have been moseying by a fair amount of the Vermont landscape as I try to improve my ability to run for longer distances and periods of time with limited success, partially because it's been very cold. So just being outside doing anything for that amount of time when it's that cold is like, no. Um, so that's what I've been moseying by. I guess not really moseying, sort of motoring. But either way, I have been listening to the Australian punk band Amel and the Sniffers. Whoa. Whoa. Whoa, indeed. They're fantastic. And their 2021 album, Comfort to Me, has just a whole bunch of absolute rockin' tunes that are so good on it. Um, my favorite song is probably Hurts. Which I have learned how to play on the guitar. And I have played along numerous times with that song. It's Amazing. very fun. But I think the best song on the album is probably, well, it's hard to say, but I think the one that really speaks to me is one called Security. And the chorus is... Uh, Basically, she's like screaming at a bouncer to let her into a nightclub because she just wants to find love. <laughs> I'm not looking for trouble. I'm looking for love. Oh my good. gosh. And it like, it's got the Aussie <laughs> accent all the way. Um, and it ends with, I swear I'm not that drunk. <laughs> it's just like good good vibes uh -huh. um the whole record is like really uh it's just great good energy uh another song guided by angels has the immortal lines good energy bad energy i've got plenty of energy <laughs> wow. it's my currency i spend protect my energy currency um which is just great damn because um, it's like currency but also current like electrical current and energy and it's just like guided by angels but they're not heavenly they're on my buddy 
<laughs> it's so good. Um, they did a KEXP concert and interview that you can find, and we will link to plenty of their stuff because the more people listening to them, the better. My other recommendation, briefly, is a a couple of series that the comedian, probably my favorite comedian, uh, James Acaster, did. Uh, Sweet Home Ketteringa, where he goes around visiting different places in his hometown of Kettering, which is like a, you know, moderately sized industrial town in England. And he goes to the local football club and it turns out it's moved. And then they did a, a second series because Kettering has a sister city in Germany. So the second season is called Sweet Home Landsteineringa. And they go and it's him and a couple of other folks and they like go around making a low budget quasi documentary series about the various sites. And it's just like, it's just odd. And he's funny, basically. That's um, great. And they're both great vehicles for him to just be kind of odd and funny. And all the videos are like eight to 12 minutes long. So it goes down pretty quick and easy. And there's like five ish episodes in both the series so that was a that was a little fun interlude as yeah. well that's great but what about you what have you been watching reading listening to thinking about what's going on oh jack how are you coping with the cold oh i'm coping with something that hit pretty close to home uh it's a show based on a novel it's called station 11 I've heard so much about this. It is so good. So it's based on a novel also called Station Eleven. Post-apocalypse, there's a big flu. Uh, it kills most people. That part is... Um, and you know what they did? Well, what did they did? So the book came out a while ago in like 2014. But the show, like... <laughs> Uh, they they time it. They adjusted the time so that the pandemic starts in 2020, which I think is. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, it the so but the story is after the pandemic, the people who survive, there's a group that forms a traveling Shakespeare troupe. And that's basically who what you follow. It's a very, very beautiful and well done show one thing that really came through that i found very moving is like the it's sort of a trite way of or not trite it's just a it's there's no other way to say it but like the power of the theater and the power of art on the one hand you know when shit hits the fan and it's the apocalypse it's like okay you got to learn how to use a knife and you got to kill the wolves in the woods and you got to survive. And like, there's the basic kind of, you know, meet your needs, but the, I don't you know. It just, just scream to be or not to be at a beaver and hope that it dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I just, I felt like it was a very, um, the importance and not just of theater, but there's other, other kinds of stories and art to kind of like you know give life its shape and meaning and also sort of give space for the really difficult pains and traumas and sufferings um, to be felt and expressed i just felt like it was um i don't know i i hadn't yeah i i want to read the book um and sarita's read it and she said it was really good and i remember her reading it like in 2014 and i was like i gotta read this one day and then the show came out seven years later and now we're in a pandemic and it's like what the fuck uh <laughs> but anyway i yeah it's like it's one of the best things I've seen in a long time. It's really good. It's I'm ready. I'm excited. I've only heard incredible things about it. 
Um, yeah. So naturally, I watched Peacemaker instead because I'm, <laughs> I'm highbrow like that. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is co-host Jack Rossiter Munley. Just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us, and we love to hear from you. It's always great to know if you have a different reading of this poem or any of the other poems we've covered, or if there are any poems you wish we would cover in the future. You can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com, or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton, and the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry or on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. See you next time. <laughs>